part of open viz is, is the open source part, but also sort of opening up the community. And if you don't take risks, you, you sort of stay with the same community that we have. This episode is sponsored by Car2DB. Car2DB is an open, powerful, and intuitive platform for discovering and predicting the key facts underlying the massive location data in our world. With Car2DB, you can design and analyze beautiful and insightful maps. Check out incredible location intelligence projects and get started for free at car2db.com gallery. Hi, everyone. It's a new Data Stories. Hi, Enrico. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Beautiful day today. Very nice. Uh, that's great to hear. So, anything new in New York town? Um, no, no, nothing special. Nothing new from, yeah, since last episode. Yeah. Moving on, moving on. Yeah, so two updates from our side we can talk about. We yeah. have a Slack channel. So Slack is a chat application and you can register at the bottom of our website, datastory.es. And... Yeah, you can chat with us and other guests. It's usually quite fun. We discuss the episodes. You can suggest guests. So feel free to join uh, this chat. And second, on our website, we now have a team page because it's not just Enrico and I doing the show, uh, as you might <laughs> think, but there's actually also Destry, yeah. who's our producer and helps us a lot with the organization yeah. and the contents for yep. the episodes. And Florian, who does an amazing job at making something audible out of the <laughs> often quite messed up audio files we produce. And uh, yeah, we're very grateful for the help. Uh, thanks, Florian. Thanks, Destry. And now we have a team page on the website and you can read a bit more about them and get in touch with them. So thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's crazy. We never really mentioned, even mentioned them on the show. So I think it, it was about time. So thanks Destry and Florian. I mean, we, this show cannot happen without you. So that's very important. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, shall we dive into the episode? Absolutely. Go on. So today we have not one, not two. We have three special guests and it's the whole team <laughs> from Boku. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. So that, that was almost synchronous. So I, that, that's a good sign for team spirit, I would say. Yeah. So can you maybe introduce yourself individually, briefly, what you do, what you're working on, what your specialties are? Sure. I can go first. Uh, I'm Irene Ross, and uh, I am the director of Data Visit Boku. And uh, I've been there for about five years, and I'm a, a developer by trade. I like making engaging and informative visualization work. And I also help run OpenVizConf, which hopefully you've either seen the videos for or have been to. We just we just ran one a few weeks ago. Um, and when I don't do data visualization, I like to think about food, which is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes next? Jim, maybe you're next. All right, I'll, I'll go next. My name is Jim Vallandingham. I'm part of the Boku DataViz team. And I'm also uh, a developer by trade and, and moved into DataViz um, as part of a way to uh, increase the potency, the power of the uh, applications we were building. And uh, I've been with the team for about a year and we've been involved in a lot of different projects and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm Yannick Asagba, also on the DataViz team at Boku. And yeah, I design and develop data visualizations and have fun doing it with these other fine folk. 
It's <laughs> a lot of fun. I have to give a shout out to our fourth teammate who isn't here, Peter, who joined us right. recently, Peter Vishai. Um, and he built some pretty cool stuff for OpenViz, which maybe we'll talk about later, but he's here in spirit. Cool. But overall, it's four people plus probably a few freelancers plus minus. Yep. A lot of other folks on the Boku team actually jump in and mm-hmm. help us on projects whenever we have something fun that needs doing or, you know, when we have too much, too many fun things to do. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a bit about what is Boku? How long does it exist? What do you do? Um, what are your main fields of, of activity? Sure. Um, Boku's been around for a while. I want to say six or seven years. I've been there for about five. Um, and we're basically an open web uh, technology and design company. Um, and we're primarily a consultancy. So people come to us from all kinds of industries and from academia as well, an awful lot actually, to help them build whatever they need build with technology, anything from websites to robots. And generally we use open source technologies to do that. Um, and then sometimes we actually end up producing new open source technologies, um, often actually as a result of that work, or we actually get directly hired to, you know, create open source technologies. So, um, it's pretty core to our mission to basically help move the technology space into using open practices from engineering to the way we talk to each other. So, um, so far it's worked out pretty well. (laughs) So uh, can you give us a few examples, like just to, to understand a bit concretely when you say frameworks, what types of things have you been working on or commission projects? I know you also do a lot of self-commissioned uh, work. Can you give us a brief overview of, of the yeah, a little project gallery? And maybe we can dive into a few in detail. Yeah, sure. We'd be happy to. Um, so the we have quite a few projects on our uh, database page and we um, thought of a couple that might be interesting to touch on. Um, and obviously Boku has work in other types of services. So, uh, from web app application development to training, um, things like that. But, um, we've done some really interesting projects, uh, anywhere from just open source tools, like, um, working with Jeff here's team on Voyager and Lyra to, um, a little bit, uh, in journalism, things like global post or the guardian several years ago. Um, and, uh, we've been enjoying working with text. It's one of the, um, kind of themes that we've, we've realized was happening since we did stereotropes last year. Um, and, uh, we've also been doing a bunch of teaching. Jim and Yannick just, um, did a really great text analysis and visualization workshop for OpenVizConf. Um, so just a few to mention. So why don't we dive into some of these projects? That would be nice. Maybe we can start with um, Voyager and Lyra. Yeah. Uh, Voyager and Lyra are both uh, interesting projects that we, we've been able to, to work with, Jeff here and his team. And it's been really exciting to be part of these, this growing ecosystem of tools uh, around uh, helping to automate the communication of, of uh, data through data visualizations. So I think you guys have uh, already heard about uh, Voyager a little bit, right? Yeah, maybe you can briefly describe what Voyager and Lyra are. Sure, yeah. Uh, Voyager is a tool that you give it a, a data file and it starts automatically generating visualizations of the different facets of the data, um, uh, ones that are produced through a recommendation system. So it can take into account um, some of the actions that the user takes. 
So you select a particular variable that you're interested in and more visualizations pop up showing you different dimensions uh, rotated around that dimension. And Lyra is kind of an advanced tool for developing um, quite beautiful uh, and powerful visualizations uh, without using, uh, without coding specifically. And they've recently introduced the, the ability to, to harness interactions in the, in the underlying spec, uh, Vega, so that, uh, interactive capabilities, uh, will be part of these, these tools and part of the, the way you work with them in the very short future, which is really pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. And wh what is your role uh, when, so I know these, these projects that come out of a research lab from Jeff Air, which we had on the show. Yeah, to be clear, all credit goes to them. We we uh, were fortunate to get a night uh, Mozilla Night grant for uh, Voyager, and uh, use that uh, opportunity to uh, work with them and bring up um, some of the capabilities in terms of performance and some of the capabilities in terms of UX and UI design. Uh, we have a very talented designer, uh, Jess, that helped with uh, prototyping some some new looks and and centering the the flow of, of the tool and that we were able to implement. And then with uh, another coworker, Cadam White, um, we were able to uh, really speed up the UI and the, the data processing uh, part. So trying to make it uh, come out of, you know, a little bit more robust, a little bit more user-friendly and a little more applicable to the general public. A, way, a ways ago, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, recently a post uh, from uh, Lisa, is that right? Mm -hmm. she, she tried out 12 different tools, including uh, Voyager and Lyra, and, and it, making the same graph over and over again. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting uh, thing, yeah. um, but highlights some of the capabilities that, that these tools have, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that's a very interesting model, and... Uh, as you can imagine, being a professor myself, I'm very much interested oh. in knowing more how, how this happens. And I, I'm, I'm really glad to see that this is actually happening, that there are tools that are originally developed in the lab, mostly to be prototypes. And right. then there are people like you that are basically helping researchers transition these tools to something that a much broader set of people can can access and, and use. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. and and. Uh, certainly something we want to do more of. Um, um, yeah, because you're right. There's tons of tools out there that mm -hmm. uh, could be useful to a larger uh, community. And they just need a little love, a little uh, care. So, Jim, you've been mentioning the work that you've done on the tool itself. I'm wondering, do you also provide services in terms of making this tool available on the web and making sure that it's easy to, say, download, install, um, uh -huh. find documentation. Are you also taking care of this part? Uh, yeah, and in certain circumstances, um, I think uh, the Jeff here's team for this particular project ha has done a really good job in trying to organize uh, documentation and stuff around Vega. They have their own tool, uh, their own GitHub repo and stuff like that. Uh, for another project uh, with Santiago Ortiz, uh, we, we were working on his Moabio framework, and, and a large portion of that was developing uh, plans around um, how to form a community uh, and how to engage and allow for other external collaborators to come in 
and and improve the tool and and work with the tool. Um, so uh, for that project, it's it's a it's a code based framework um, that allows you to kind of can take a data set, turn it into its basic forms like a, a number list or a string list, and then um, use those forms to visualize it. And uh, Yannick and I worked a lot with the uh, improving documentation, improving the stories around uh, how it might be used, and uh, you know making like uh, getting it set up prepared for open source. Uh, usage, you know, picking a license is, you know, a, a subtle but very critical uh, piece of the puzzle for, for open source tools. And, and so that uh, turned out to be a rather uh, lengthy of, uh, uh, communication, but, but very fruitful eventually. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really fascinating topic. Like having a good idea is one thing, or having something that works for one paper or to right. try something yeah. out is one thing, but actually having a product and building a community around something and yeah, it's, building it's a sustainable so thing you know? is such a different yeah. game. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a challenge for, for mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. involved. In, yeah, no, but, but so important at the same time. Yeah. I think you are yeah. covering a super important role and I would mm -hmm. love to see more of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should talk more offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And what do you think, like, what is the main value you can bring, like, with the, like, coming more from a general web development and communications and mm -hmm. maybe open source background? What, what, what do you think? What are the main components that are missing in, in research prototypes or homemade DIY oh. solutions that, that you can bring to the table? I think you mentioned a few, but, uh. Yeah, I mean, I think I liked, uh, I didn't get a chance to see it, but you're, uh, I remember you had a uh, workshop about everything but the visualization. Yes, yeah, right? exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think more of that, you know, like the um, providing providing uh, insight into what is needed, you know, is, is the first step. It's just uh, a lot of people are, aren't ready to um, take on or realize what it means to open source a project and, and, the, and the, requ the requirement in terms of time and commitment in terms of documentation and if you want it to be successful. And so, uh, revealing that, uh, demonstrating that in, in successful projects in the past and, um, and guiding that into the future. I don't know, Irene, if you had other comments. Yeah, I, I can jump in. Um, I think certainly one of the easiest misconceptions to make about open source is that you just open your code and then that's the yeah. end of the story. And that's actually just the beginning of the story because it takes so much more effort to actually, um, get people interested and create enough materials for them to observe the way your project um, grows and evolves. I mean, if you think about D3, I'm always so amazed at how much work Mike Bostock does. He's there every day. You can always ask him a question. He's answered thousands of questions online. And that's a huge part of why D3, I think, is so popular. Um, even, you know, obviously it's an amazing tool, but it also has this continuing thread over time. And so, Part of our work, um, aside from both making the code a lot better, so everyone um, is really good architect, and that's a big piece of it, just making maintainable code and that's well documented and tested. Um, a big piece is also figuring out how to weave all of um, all of those different parts together, how to bring a community, what kind of assets we should create to try and get people on board. Um, it's a really big part of that. 
Yeah, it's true. And I mean, of course, we feel the same with data stories. <laughs> and yeah. We were just yeah. talking about that it's so great that we have some help now because in the first few years we were thinking like, yeah, we're just doing a podcast and, you know, we just record something and put it online. But there's so much work around it in terms of communication and documentation, just being present and making it a thing, uh, you know, <laughs> that... Um, yeah, it's it's can be more than the what you would think of as the actual work, let's say. And the other thing yeah. is, I think often things some things just get picked up and develop a dynamic, and others don't. And mm -hmm. or sometimes it takes years, and something comes out of the you know <laughs> out of the woods, and you were like, it was there all the time. You could have used it all the time, but you know. So <laughs> and these dynamics are also hard to grasp sometimes. Yeah, right? I mean, even D three before D three was Protoviz, before Protoviz was Flare, right? There's a whole history to that project eventually evolving. It didn't fall from the tree either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's great. And it's, I think it's a great model to, as an agency, to take these things and, and say, you, you work on the professionalization, let's say, <laughs> of these research tools. Yeah. <laughs> the third big part is obviously also you do a lot of self-commissioned projects and experiments and, you know, try to push things yourself. Uh, I, I remember the Stereotropes project, uh, which was a nice... Nice take on, on this direction. So maybe, Yannick, maybe you can tell us a bit about this one. Sure. Um, I can maybe give a quick description of it first and then sort of tell you sort of how we ended up doing it. Um, so Stereotropes is a web-based uh, project and visualization of uh, tropes or these descriptions of tropes from tvtropes.com. And, and those are really descriptions of characters and themes that appear in, in film and in media often and repeatedly that we sort of recognize and sort of have these amusing names like Papa Wolf or Mama Bear or the damsel in distress or the scary <laughs> black man or something like that. Um, and these are, are, are things you see in lots of different media. And there's this really interesting community um, out on tvtrips.org that sort of documents and, and records and describes and sort of has this discussion around these things and captures them. Um, so we became interested in sort of, you know, using visualization. And when we're doing sort of um, self-commissioned work, we can sort of go to, to different places um, using visualizations to look at this aspect of culture and, and sort of examine it and put it under a bit of a light. Um, so... Uh, it basically um, provides an interface to sort of look through um, um, about a hundred of the most used tropes in in, in film and television, um, and particularly through the lens of gender. What is it? Um, what kinds of things are associated with um, sort of uh, female tropes and and male tropes? So we actually start with these two lists that they have of mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know always male tropes, always female sort of character tropes, and wanted to sort of examine that and see what what does, how are these characters described? What is it saying about the portrayal of, of men in media and of women in media? And how does that differ across um, different kinds of things? And did you develop and identify all these tropes yourself? Or are there already trope collections you can, uh, with an API that you can connect to? Or how um, does this work? And the, so that's that's one nice part. These these descriptions are developed by this community. So it is it is people sort of looking at mm -hmm. media, sort of critiquing it um, uh, uh, yeah. in community and, and sort of trying to sort of figure out what these things are from an access point of view. Um, the API is Irene scraping the data and cleaning it up. Um, and actually, there was some help from a project called dbtropes that we could shout out. Um, uh, but, but a mix of sort of pulling that together. It's actually a wiki. So on, on one hand, it's it's a very interesting, engaging community to go to. You can spend hours on tvtropes.org, and I have. 
Um, and it's, it's a wiki of people, <laughs> you know, documenting these things across a lot of different media and where they appear and how they relate to each other. Um, and some are very common and you read these things and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that in like 10 movies or something or the hot scientist or something. Yeah. Can you maybe give us some, some examples? Are there anything you... Yeah. So I like, I'm sure like ones that, yeah. that may be quite familiar are things like, um, um, like a femme fatale or, um, a hot scientist, for example, or dumb muscle, a sort of strong, uh, but otherwise unintelligent, typically male character, yeah. um, or a screaming woman yeah. who's just sort of appears and just screams and has no words or lines in, in, a, in a film. Um, so, I have a whole movie in my head already. It's, uh, it's happening. Um, and, but some are a bit more, um, yeah. subtle. So like one that I like and find funny is the beard of evil and just this, um, you know, common trope of like the more evil characters having beards. Um, and sort of what does that, um, say? So th th there's, there's quite a few and they're, they're pretty funny. And what we did is take the descriptions of them and, uh, pull out adjectives. So using some, some NLP stuff, um, pull out some adjectives and then see what kinds of adjectives are most associated with a particular trope is one thing you can examine on the site and also with male tropes overall versus female tropes. So what kinds of things tend to be used to describe, um, roles that, um, you know, women are, are often put into or, or men. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. interesting. It's almost like a digital humanities project in a sense that it's a, a topic you would typically write an yeah. essay about, like maybe five years ago. And now, you know, 2014 or when you did it, uh, you make a database <laughs> and, and suddenly you look at all these tropes as a whole and analyze which are the outliers, which yeah. are the typical ones. So I think that's, that's a very t timely approach here and a good topic. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm actually working on a, narrative pattern collection right now so it's basically um it could be very similar so some of the narration patterns if you take them to the extreme might mm. become a trope mm. and then <laughs> these two projects might yeah, meet i like i like just exploring uh like beard of evil shows up in disney movies uh lion mm -hmm. king scar mm -hmm. uh has has the has a little beard of evil and pocahontas the bad guy in there <laughs> Also, beard of evil. Um, since I have a beard, I, I kind of get no. You should sue all of them. All of this. Yeah, yeah. Inappropriate use of beard. But, but yeah, it, it, it's it's fun to to see the 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 spots where they show up, and then you come back and you think about uh, that. That does make sense. That mm -hmm. is a trope. That is that is something that. Uh, I've seen over and over again. It, I didn't realize it's been ingrained into my conscious uh, uh, of, of how I should react to this yeah, character. Yeah. One of the best things that came out of stereotropes is that we actually had a lot of conversations with people who do have nothing to do with technology. They were just really mm -hmm. curious about the things we were finding in the data. And um, because it was a tool, they could go back and read things and look at the movies where things appeared and everything was so cross-linked. Um, we were certainly accused of making a rabbit hole, um, that it was, uh, it was really nice to just have conversations about, um, culture and gender and, and media really separate. I almost feel like that was the greatest testament to, <laughs> to stereotropes being a good project. No, you know, a lot of people didn't talk about, about it, you know, necessarily outside of our community. Um, it just helps them kind of dig in and think about these topics. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, how do projects like this one 
start and uh, how do you decide whether it's a good enough project to to yeah commit on it um well so we generally come up with the ideas for things like this ourselves and we're actually starting to think about our next one so we're pretty excited about that um <laughs> and we we have some brainstorm sessions we all think about data that we want to explore um a lot of the times we'll do some data analysis in advance and just see is there anything interesting there we also do a lot of prototyping so that's a big part actually of the projects we work on as we do a lot of prototyping around both the analysis and some of the information design um to so we kind of narrow it down until we feel like we have we hit the right mark or we you know give up on that data set and go to something else. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah. iterative. And and how do you, that's, uh, I'm always interested in practically, how do you f balance all this? Like, okay, so you live in Boston and you have an, a studio there, so probably that costs a bit of money. And so how, how do you balance <laughs> doing commercial commissions with the more long-term, I guess a Knight Foundation grant is probably a bit more long-term, a bit more calculable than you organize a conference that we will talk about in a minute <laughs> as well. <laughs> and then the open source activities and the self-commissioned stuff. Like, how do you, do you have like quotas? Like, or do you say on Friday, we just work on fun stuff or, or do you sort of have different periods of activities? How do you organize this balance? I'm, yeah. I'm super curious about this. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we generally, when we work on commercial work, we only work on one project at a time um, at Boku. That's, something that we do for the sanity of all of our staff. Um, that's, a, that's a very smart idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to switch context. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we have commercial work that is the majority of our time. And uh, we have a construct that we call perch time, which uh, I know in some environments is called bench. We, we don't look at it that way. It's really our time for learning and our time for creating you know, things that we're excited about exploring. And so, um, you know, there's a, we have a, a f amazing financial director, shout out to Jasmine, who helps us uh, keep track of all the numbers. And um, we've been really, really fortunate that um, we've had a ton of really exciting work that uh, some of the open source work ends up being commercial work at the same time and things like mm -hmm, that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. so it's a balance, but, you know, we, we're really excited about our field. So we, ha we've, really want to make time for um, all kinds of projects. And it's really the blend, honestly, that makes it work really well. Mm -hmm. And if you have just one active project at a time, how do you deal with this huge padding at the beginning, at, at the end of projects where you're basically done, but there's still a couple of revisions or you can almost start, we just need the data and then it doesn't come for weeks. Like, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Oh. That might be a very specific question, but I've, no, I've I mean, improved my own practice. So It certainly <laughs> happened. Um, I, I So we have a, a model called continued access that um, we actually just started where um, it's kind of access to one of the, the folks on the team at a smaller uh, smaller amount of time and obviously a more favorable rate. Um, and that's anywhere from assisting with engineering tasks and fixing bugs and things like that to actually just helping think through, you know, higher level problems or architecture, things like that. Um, and so that's kind of one way that often projects will, um, you know, uh, once they're done, we'll sort of transition to that mode. But then earlier mm -hmm. on in the beginning of projects, we generally do kind of a research phase where, you know, we make sure we do a lot of conversations before we kick off to make sure everything that we need to get mm -hmm. started mm -hmm. is there uh, and we'll wait if it's not. And then once we do get going, we can um, generally 
you know, hit the ground running. That's always what we strive for, but we'll spend a lot of time doing research and design and a lot of prototyping before we kind of jump into the full on development. In the end, it always saves us time. So, um, that works out pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about communication is, you know, communicating with a client, communicating back and forth, getting, getting everybody on the same page is the, is the hard part, I guess. And, uh, data access is, is obviously part of that. I've often found at the start of projects, um, there's a, there's a bunch of like getting to know the client and their context that you can do while waiting for data. Um, as you sort of poke at them to be like, Oh yeah, send that thing that you said you had when we first started (laughs) talking, but then there's getting to know, you know, more about their, their field. I think one thing that's interesting about, you know, technology in the computing space is, is getting to dive into different other fields a little bit. Um, so reading up on that stuff on which we are not experts is also a fun use of some of that initial time. This is the right time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor, CartoDB. CartoDB is a web-based application that allows you to load location data, displayed using a lot of different geographical mapping methods, and then discover new information and generate new insights by using many of the functionalities they provide. And today I want to talk about a specific one that you have recently introduced. This is called the Data Observatory. What is the Data Observatory? Well, it's a, an additional layer that allows you to augment your data by providing additional measurements of populations, jobs, commerce, and many other interesting location-based dimensions that you can find directly within CartoDB. And as you can imagine, this is very powerful because you're no longer restricted to the information that is already contained in your data, but you can expand it with many different measurements. So there is one example that I found really interesting that you can find in CartDB's website that shows how this works exactly. You can, for instance, select one specific location on a map. And CartoDB would provide for you how many people can reach this point from a walking distance. And for each block around this point, what is the per capita income, median age, and other measurements. So it's very, very powerful. If you want to see how this works and get more information about how the data observatory works, you can go to the link cartodb.com slash data and find more information. And now back to the show. Product development is not the only thing that, that you do. So you also teach courses, right? And, and of course you're also organizing open biz that we, we want to talk about. So maybe can, can you tell us a little bit about your courses, what you teach and how, and maybe we can move on to open biz. Yeah, sure. Um, so we have a kind of a variety of different uh, workshops at Boku that we teach. Uh, we've recently switched to a shorter format where they're actually a kind of an, an afternoon, you know, three-hour workshop uh, that is a part of a series. Sometimes it doesn't have to be. But we've taught some workshops around user-centered design already that were really great. We actually partnered with a nonprofit in New York um, and did some design work for some of their projects while teaching design. Um, and then uh, our team more specifically has a lot of material around D3. So um, we've done anything from half day to kind of three, four day um classes around D3. And then more recently for OpenVizConf, Jim and Yannick developed a a workshop around text analysis and visualization, which was amazing. Maybe I'll let them talk about that. Yeah, it was a a lot of fun. Yeah. uh, I mean, Yannick had had a lot of uh, text viz and text analysis experience in the mini eyes projects and in stereotropes. And, and so we kind of 
uh, wrap that together in terms of a, a, a starter course in learning how to, to do some analysis in NLTK, a Python package, and then transitioned into kind of a fun uh, couple hour um, explosion of data viz. Um, yeah, mostly, you know, a lot of, a lot of the text viz stuff comes from the academic field. So, uh, it was a chance to introduce people from industry to some of that work. And, uh, we, we got people excited about implementing perhaps open source or, uh, open v varieties of some of the, uh, tools that you see from the academic world again to try to, uh, bridge that gap a little bit better. But I think it turned out really well. Uh, it was a full day. It was a lot of work, a lot of practice, a lot of uh, cutting of of content, <laughs> as you as you probably can guess. Um, uh, but everybody had a good time. The hardest part is uh, uh, getting everybody's <laughs> on the Wi-Fi and downloading data. Always always ruins the workshop. But and the local yeah. web server yeah. took up the other half, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, no, but uh, I have to say, text based is uh, such a fascinating uh, area, and you're right. There has been quite a quite a bit of research in this area yeah. for, for a few years. Uh, we had Chris Collins on the show a few months back right. and he does amazing, amazing type of yeah. research. Yeah. And yeah, we love We're, his work. Um, but I would love to see more more practical tools coming up. And that, I think uh -huh. that's a very interesting space. And uh, yeah, I would love to see more. So I'll that. make another shout out for listeners. As, as oh, Jim okay. mentioned at the end, we... Um, basically one of the exercises we gave was like, Hey, let's take some, some papers for some visualizations we know we like, and let's make open source <laughs> JavaScript web enabled versions of these. Oh so yeah. That's a great idea. If you're idea. looking for a project yeah, to do, yeah. uh, find a paper or ping us if you want to make my favorite text visualizations, yeah. um, from researchers and just make one. Uh, and that could be cool. And we had small small groups working on We had 30 people in the workshop, and, and everybody broke up into small groups. And, and there were some uh, uh, attendee-contributed concepts as well that were very uh, successful. But I was very impressed at how much progress people made in the, the time that we allotted for that, uh -huh. uh, that kind of hands-on implementation. We had about two hours um, for that. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and so I hope hopefully we can uh, send some links of of the projects that were kind of works in progress. There. Oh yeah, yeah, but, that 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 would be nice. I would love to see oh. these projects. No, but again, I think text viz is is a very very interesting area, and uh, I would love to see more happening on the product side of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And now that we have transcripts for the podcast, I mean, you know, there's ample yeah, opportunity. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And that's what that's what we did at OpenViz. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we we started collecting, creating transcripts. <laughs> I mean, a few months or even years down the line, we're gonna have a very interesting repository, and hopefully, people, yeah, will just play with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you did something amazing for the OpenVizConf video archives. I just saw that. Yeah. And we should talk about the conference anyway. So maybe, but let's yeah. talk about that video archive because I think it's such a smart idea. Can you, who built that and, and how did you do it? Yeah. So this was actually a build by Peter. Um, it was his, uh, first Boku project. Um, and we had the transcripts from OpenViz, which were really amazing. It was so great to have that resource. Last year, we tried to 
more automatically extract some of the text using uh, a few tools we found. And it did a not so great a job. Um, not surprisingly, things like WebGL are not easily detectable. And so there was a lot of manual correction to that version. And then yeah, in this situation, yeah. we were really, um, really fortunate that our transcriber, Amanda, did such a great job. And, um, and so we, so during the conference, she live transcribed yep. as well, right? Yeah. yeah, it was, it was mesmerizing too. Everybody was, yeah. you know, it was great and bad. Everybody wanted to watch the, the transcripts <laughs> yeah. float up on the yeah. screen. It was, it was yeah. impressive yeah. stuff. It was so popular. We really <laughs> didn't expect that. Um, we kind of wanted to make it accessible to people who couldn't be there and because the transcripts yeah. were also being streamed live. Um, online so that you could just go and watch them on the website. Uh, and some people did. It was really interesting. They kind of pieced together things from Twitter and from the transcripts. People were posting photos. So, um, it was fun. But, uh, but yeah, Peter took the, the transcripts we had and, um, using TFIDF scores, um, um, for individual terms and bigrams picked out some of the top, um, top end for all of the different talks and then, um, kind of, we all came up with this concept of uh, this sort of film strip of thumbnails. There were, I think, 30 thumbnails being taken for each of the talks. Um, and we actually used, uh, uh, for inspiration, one of the the New York Times pieces around um, fashion shows that sort of had this slidey accordion that we really liked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a little bit inspired by Classic. that. Um, and then uh, some of Yannick's work on stereotropes around kind of the gender panel that kind of compared male and female individual adjectives inspired a little bit of the the term layout um, for the words um, and then kind of the rest of the touches came came together from from Peter so yeah it was really fun to build and the terms were very very telling of the talks having seen them it was actually yeah. really exciting to yeah. see wow these are so on point <laughs> so um you know we felt like it would be a useful way to get into the talks yeah, and you, get, you quickly get a sense of what is the talk about, but also does it have different chapters like that are wildly different, or what's the like the the narrative structure? And for the key concepts, you might be interested in you see where they appear in the talk, so you can just jump to that point where they talk about networks or something. And so, right. I think it's an amazing use of of data to to make a talk video more accessible. Huh? Yeah. yeah, great job. Um, Thanks. OpenBizConf in general, I mean. It's a it's a big thing I, that could probably keep you busy full time already. <laughs> <laughs> so can can you tell us a bit Should about be. the conference? It has it's been around for a few years, three or four maybe. Yeah, this was our fourth. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely our baby. We're very proud of it. We started mm -hmm. it um, as a way to both bring together actual practitioners in the data visualization space to. Uh, learn how to actually do the work. I think, um, especially at, at the time that I was new to data visualization, um, uh, a while back, it was hard to figure out how do I do some of these things. And I, I shadowed people around and, and watched them and <laughs> from, uh, but we, we really wanted to make a place where that was kind of the norm and the culture and, um, kind of shift our community towards being a more open, transparent community about how we do the work. Um, you know, we love talking about our process and, and, uh, the tools that we use and we wanted more people to do that. And so, uh, we ran the first one at the Museum of Science in Boston, which was an amazing place. Um, and, uh, it's really grown every year. We've managed to kind of increase, um, 
the number of people that we can let in um, this year sold out really quickly, which was um, amazing for us. But also we want to make sure everybody can come. So <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> great problem to have. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of... Uh, a lot of work that goes in towards putting the program together. So uh, we have a committee of seven people um, that the three of us are on. And, and then we also have non-Boku folks. So Lynn Turney is my co-chair. Um, and then we have Gabriel Florid and Nicholas Diakopoulos and Alex Grell, who have helped us tremendously um, over the years. And we spend a lot of time, months, definitely putting the program together. So we have an open call that goes out and we try to think of kind of topics that we think might be interesting and list those. Um, and then we do, we, we reach out to a lot of people and try to talk to them about their work and see if they're interested in submitting. Um, and then everything goes into our big submission queue we had about. Um, a little over 200 talk submissions this year, which was pretty oh, incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we never budget enough time <laughs> because everyone waits for the last <laughs> minute to submit their talks. Please don't do that. Um, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. And so we, we spend weeks really reviewing things and we'll often actually build tools around our reviewing process because every year we evolve it a little bit and there's really not great off the shelf tools for doing some of the kind of reviewing that we do. It's a great chance for data visualization, obviously. <laughs> yeah. so, it's yeah, so I mean, tempting. <laughs> it's really tempting. <laughs> Multidimensional, like, you know, trade-offs being balanced yeah. in real time. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. Well, that's uh, <laughs> the conference itself is, uh, you know, kind of the, the nexus point of so many, so many uh, disciplines. Data yeah. vis is, is the, you know, the overlap of so many disciplines. So highlighting uh, each of those areas in in a conference pre, uh, organization or uh, uh, is is difficult and and something that I think Irene and Lynn do a great job yeah, every yeah. year at uh, achieving. Yeah, and this selection process is very unique because usually uh, there's two competing models. Let's say the one is the let's say the design or business conference model where some committee reaches out to people and invites them. And then they talk about whatever they want, or they have a rough briefing, but in principle, yeah, they're just invited as people. Or in academia, you would submit a paper, and then the paper gets accepted or not, or maybe sometimes an abstract. And so yours seems to be sort of halfway in between, in the <laughs> sense that people need to apply with a topic and like an idea of a talk, but then it's just this idea, and then if you get accepted, you do the full talk, right? Is, is that... On purpose, or how did you come up with that model? Like, yeah, I mean, it is on purpose. Um, a, we wanted to make the barrier to applying as low as possible. Paper is certainly a pretty high barrier um, to get yeah. in, and um, we also did not want to just do an invitation-only conference because um, we're aware of our own biases and our own. Uh, you know, networks in a sense, if, if we only invited people for four years, we would run out of people to invite. And it, um, it's <laughs> yeah, still really yeah. hard because we bring so many multidisciplinary people to speak from completely different fields. Yeah. Um, it's still really hard to find them, but we're always surprised to receive applications from people we've never heard mm -hmm, of. Mm -hmm. And, right. um, it's actually really important. You know, we have lots of principles we try to uphold. And one of them is to bring in people who, um, are new to the field or who, um, are completely outside of our, you know, kind of direct community to, uh, share what they know. And so we always look for people who, you know, maybe none of us have ever heard of, but are going to come there and just knock everybody's socks off. And that happens all the time. <laughs> and it's so great when it does. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the best, of course. Yeah, that's such an important thing. And I, I've been organizing myself a few very small events, and it's always hard to come up with the right principles. And and you're totally right. We all have our own biases, and we we see them in data <laughs> stories, by the way. Right? Sure. We are always always discussing this thing. Right? Who should we invite next, and how are we going too much into this direction or that direction? And uh, yeah, and by the way, that's one reason why we like receiving suggestions from listeners yep. who they want yeah. to to see next. That's that's very important. And so hard. It's so hard to find the right balance, right? Because on the one hand, you do want to be kind of like the editor of something, right? I mean, you, you want to give a style to the event that you are that you are um, organizing, but at the same time, you don't want the event to be closed or to fully reflect your own biases, yeah, right? absolutely. So it's so hard. And of course, you run a higher risk if you you know, you let somebody speak. Nobody has ever let let speak before. You know, it's like yeah, you're you're putting yourself out there in a sense that yeah, you're risking a bit. And mm -hmm. but um, I think then the beautiful thing is in in some it pays off. So I think this year you had the most diverse program ever. Like you know, it was just super mixed up and super colorful. Like overall, like both from topics and people. And I also feel it was content wise maybe the best edition so far. Right? Uh, I mean, is that I mean, it was my impression at least. So um, it seems to pay off, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of work to um, the editorializing part is really interesting because it, it is such a tension. And the way that the program comes together, we always have a, a top end of talks that are at least two to three times bigger than the actual space that we have. And then we actually mm -hmm. kind of drop the you know, obviously we remember who the people were, but we go to a more conceptual planning level where we start thinking about, okay, this is a talk about systems. And then we're going to bring in design for, you know, real-time craft, you know, spacecraft operation and how do those things weave together and the ordering matters a lot. So we do try to create kind of a two-day flow through all these different topics. And, you know, sometimes certain talks won't make it because they don't fit as well into the flow um, and others will. Um, and so that's a pretty big piece of it. And then as far as um, some newer folks and how to support them, we actually offer, you know, we talk to the, our speakers a lot beforehand. Uh, once they're accepted, um, they have, you know, complete access to me and everybody else at Boku mm -hmm. and on the committee if they wanted to. And we, we've done anything from like coaching sessions to run throughs to let's just brainstorm about your topic. Um, mm -hmm, our speakers mm -hmm. have been so engaged. It's really been amazing. And I'm like so grateful that every year they come and they're just right there with us the whole time. So, um, I think that's a really big part of it. People, uh, appreciate being there and speaking to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say another aspect that is very important for me is that you are mixing uh, academics and uh, and practitioners, and I see this as one of the most interesting aspects or feature of OpenViz. I have to confess, I've been kind of jealous the last kind of <laughs> the, 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 the last two editions because I really wanted to participate, and uh, I think I missed the deadline for for last year for a few seconds or so. But no, I mean. Uh, that's great. Thanks for, for organizing it and for organizing it this way, because I think I'm a big, big proponent of, of mixing people from different backgrounds, especially, as I said, especially from academia and practitioners, because 
there are not many opportunities to let these people talk to each other. Yeah. And it's so, so important. Absolutely. I mean, we all have dipped our toes in, in academic publishing at one point or another. And so we're familiar with these communities. Um, you know, I would love to go to InfoViz if I could find a way to afford it, but I just, I yeah. just read the proceedings afterwards. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, they should literally make it harder for academics and easier <laughs> for practitioners, right? It's kind of like practitioner discount. <laughs> they should do something right. like that. Get yeah. on the committee and get that, get that figured out. I mean, it's counterintuitive, right? You, you expect people from, on from, you. from business to be wealthier than people from academia. But what happens in right. practice is that academics, professors like me, they already have budgeted money to go to these events, right? right? But you don't, yeah. right? So no. that's, that's, right. yeah. That's a tricky issue. <laughs> As you mentioned, we had Chris Collins and and uh, a few other academic uh, people this this time around, and and so yeah, having that having that bridge is at least a start in in opening up these these two um, still still fairly isolated uh, parts of data this community the data this community. Yeah, it's getting better. I wanted to make a quick comment about what Moritz said about risk, and I think sort of taking some risks is important in. I think mm-hmm. part of open viz is is mm-hmm. the open source part, but also sort of opening up the community. And if you if you don't take risks, you you sort of stay with the same community that we have, and that's uh, a part of what we'd like to see evolve as well. How can that be more diverse and more grown? And and that means new people, which means you haven't heard them before. <laughs> so sometimes we just have to to take those chances. And they pay off. They pay off. Like Nadi's Nadi's talk. I hadn't heard Nadi talk before, and uh, she. She destroyed it. it <laughs> survey says same for for lots of lots of yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the talks are all online already, so dear listeners, you can check them yeah. out. You can just browse through that amazing text visualization tool and pick the topics you like and jump to somewhere. Uh, I would assume all of them are pretty much great. <laughs> Do you have any favorites, like from this year? If you spontaneously one talk you want to highlight. It's difficult, I know. No, we can't. We can't. <laughs> Love them all. Love them all. <laughs> they all they all provide different. You know, Kyle McDonald blew, blew everybody away with uh, machine learning. Nadi's. Uh, uh, you can't miss her slides, and you can't miss uh-huh. her talk. Mariko's uh, Mariko's mm. story flow was amazing. Uh, basically, everybody uh, you can't miss. Go watch them all right now. It's Friday. <laughs> will be. There's enough task for the weekend. Yeah. Just yeah. Turn off. Turn off Slack. Turn off your phone. Watch the movies. Weekend binging. <laughs> Forget Netflix. Forget Netflix. Yeah, this is better. Yeah, binge watch Open Viz. Yeah. Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce. We got Adam Pierce. <laughs> amazing. No, but it's true. I mean, you can learn so much about data visualization with. Um, like a couple of conferences and then picking the right talks. I mean, it's um, the best way to learn, no? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Anything else? Any closing uh, remarks, statements, Enrico? I just want to know what is happening next year. I mean, I want to participate. This time I will miss it. <laughs> How do we not miss it next year? That's our question. Yeah, I'm going to submit something. So if I can, I would submit it I now. Know. We will definitely so that, send you guys a note when the when the call opens for proposals because we'd love, we'd certainly love uh, to have you guys submit uh, and spread the word. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know, but this is going to be our fifth year, which is a pretty big deal. So uh, we've already started kind of brainstorming for fun things we can do. Um, I don't even know yet where it's going to be, but I know that having an IMAX theater screen definitely set the bar pretty high. Um, <laughs> if you think of yeah. 
we forgot to mention that it was in the the aquarium, the IMAX yes. aquarium this year. Wow, uh, which was which yeah. quite quite impressive. So we need holograms <laughs> next year. <please. laughs> yeah. yeah, holograms. Yeah, someone yeah. does hologram visualization. Please submit a talk. Every, everybody has a VR kit. <laughs> yeah. Google cardboard for everyone. <laughs> Google cardboard, everybody. Yeah. Smellograms. Turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, that's Mart's behind you. <laughs> Face walked with somebody else. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll see. We've also, this was the first year we did workshops yeah. and they went really, really well. And so I'm sure yeah. we'll explore doing those again next year. Um, it's always nice to have, you know, we always wish OpenViz was a longer event, but then it's hard to make a, just a longer conference because we also try to keep it really, really affordable. So it's really kind of at that threshold for us um and so if we can make it a bigger event somehow you know come hang out with us let's do a hack day let's work on projects together you know we're open to ideas too um so you can always email yeah. openviscons at boku.com and go straight to my mailbox so <laughs> Good to know. so irene can you summarize how people can participate other than of course just registering and coming sure yeah so um this was our first year we uh, actually have a slack um, uh, channel that we started. Uh, Jim has been running that and it's been amazing to have folks hang out there. People have coordinated things during the conference and exchange notes and things like that. So that's still happening. Um, we also obviously release all of the data for the video visualization. So the transcripts are shared um, as is Peter's code. So if anybody wanted to remix that in some way, that would be great. I know there's been a lot of uh, other visualizations of the tweets that were happening, they were really for both just a lot of really good content there. Um, we also, last year was the first time we tried to do kind of some collaborative note taking. And uh, we did that again this year. I don't think it was as um, successful because people were just paying attention, which is great. Um, <laughs> so there are still some notes for some of the talks and they kind of aggregate links together. Um, yeah. yeah. We have the yeah and, yeah. and some things are, and we had the transcripts. I think that was definitely one of the reasons it was less used, but those are just some, I think, um, we're super open to, you know, growing, growing that community. However, our community wants it to grow. Well, perfect. Thanks a lot. I mean, uh, it's fantastic what you guys are doing, both in terms of your company and open this conference. Um, I'm very much looking forward to what happens next. And as I said, I would definitely participate next year. <laughs> right. We'll be looking for your, your proposal. That's that's now on the air and that's the fact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a testament. It. <laughs> yes. We'll yeah. check back and have you can year. use this snippet against me <laughs> in a few months. <laughs> Very good. So thanks so much for coming. It's been great having you. Thank thanks. you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us and for doing this podcast. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, all in one word. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, 
and look for the link that you find on the bottom in the footer. So one last thing that we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want to us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for us. And that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. This episode is sponsored by Car2DB. Car2DB is an open, powerful, and intuitive platform for discovering and predicting the key facts underlying the massive location data in our world. With Car2DB, analyzing and designing beautifully insightful maps has never been easier. Check out incredible location intelligence projects and get started for free at car2db.com slash gallery. That's C-A-R-T-O-D-B dot com slash gallery.